Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio Program. What is the connection between theology and sexuality, and why does this matter? My guest today is Jonathan McClatchy. He is a biologist by training, but also a Christian apologist and founder of TalkAboutDoubts.com, a website that allows anyone to ask questions about the Christian faith and receive answers from Christian experts in various fields of study. In our conversation, Jonathan defines theology and then helps us unpack the gospel metaphor that is portrayed in God's design for sex. We also talk about how a biblical understanding of sex directly impacts our specific sexual sin struggles. To learn more about Jonathan and see his writings and debates, visit jonathanmclatchy.com. To submit any question about Christian faith, visit talkaboutdoubts.com. For even more resources, visit bebroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening because this helps others to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries, and Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now, here's my conversation with Jonathan. Well, all right, Jonathan McLatchy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Jonathan. How are you doing? Very good. You know, I was I was excited when you uh, responded to the invitation to be on the program because I think it's so important, the topic that we're going to talk about today, about theology and sexuality. But before we kind of dig into that conversation, I'd love for you to just let people know a little bit about who you are, what kind of work and ministry that you're involved in. So by training, I'm a biologist. I got my PhD from Newcastle University in England. I currently live in Boston with my wife, Katerina. Uh, I teach biology. As I'm an assistant professor at a local Christian college called Sattler College. We are a fairly new school. I uh, just actually got accredited last year. And uh, um, we offer programs in business, uh, computer science, human biology, um, and uh, biblical and religious studies and so on. And uh, I also run a ministry called talkaboutdoubts.com where we offer private mentoring to Christians who are struggling with doubts in regards to their faith. So basically we have assembled a team of um, several dozen uh, scholars in different fields uh, from philosophy, New Testament scholarship, uh, Old Testament scholarship, biblical Hebrew, biology, physics, astrophysics, uh, biblical archaeology, uh, psychology, um, and so forth. And basically what we aim to do is take Christians who are struggling with doubts about their faith and pair them with uh, a leading authority on that particular topic. And so we um, we basically offer a free mentoring service uh, where we mentor and disciple Christians uh, often one-on-one or two-on-one. And uh, we also have a Discord community where we try to keep in contact with people long term. Um, through that, we have weekly uh, sessions uh, also with past inquirers that we do on Tuesday nights, which alternates between an emotional support group and uh, a teaching course on, on the evidences for Christianity. So basically, the way it works is someone gets in touch via our website to talk about doubts.com, and we um, we then distribute that to one of our scholars that will get in touch with them to set up a, a, a one-on-one Zoom call to talk about their doubts and confidence. So if anyone's uh, inter- interested in uh, exploring their doubts with a, a, a scholar uh, of the faith, then please uh, feel free to get in touch uh, there. So that's a little bit about about my background and, and the work that I do. Yeah, and, and uh, um, 
I love that you you also pop up all over my social media feed with uh, the various uh, debates that you have, the 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 writing that you've done. Um, I would say that you're you're one of the um, one of my trusted apologists in the area of of understanding the Christian faith and being able to defend it well. So it's I'm, I'm excited to have you on here today, and that's why I wanted to have you on is because. Um, I think sometimes we have a huge disconnect between our bodies and especially sexuality and the whole understanding of theology. So first of all, can you just answer a very basic question for us? What is theology? Well, theology is simply the study of God, right? That's that's literally what it means. Uh, Theos, meaning God, and logos, um, which is uh, essentially... um, uh, this study of so biology is a study of living organisms and, and so forth. And um, so, uh, so theology is the study of God. And uh, there's different, of course, domains of theology. There's uh, eschatology, for example, which is the study of you know, the, the last days or the end times. And, there, and there, there's different schools of thought in that field. There's also Christology, which deals with uh, the, the nature of Christ, uh, the, the identity of Christ. Um, his nature, uh, and so forth. Um, there's um, uh, and there's ecclesiology, which is a study of, of church structure and government, and so forth. Uh, so there's uh, you're, there's multiple there, there's several different uh, areas that one can study in in the field of uh, theology. And uh, the the hope is that as a believer matures and grows in their faith, that they become more and more acquainted with, more and more familiar with, um, with God, and therefore they, they grow in their knowledge and understanding of, of biblical theology. So why is theology important then to a topic or a discussion on the topic of sex and sexuality? Well, I, I think that uh, the biblical concept of sexuality is grounded in a robust concept of, of the nature of God and, and, and the gospel. Uh, I, I think that scripture presents the marital relationship that exists between a, a husband and his wife as a picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Christ uh, loves, his, loves his bride, the church, to such an extent that he does the ultimate um, exercise and self-giving that he lays down his life on behalf of his bride. And so the husband is supposed to love his wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. That's in Ephesians five. And the, uh, the, 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 the wife is, is expected in uh, to, to submit to her husband in the same way that um, the, the, the church submits to the authority of, of Christ. Um, of course, that's, um, in the, in the ideal that's that's in the ideal situation where a husband is um, is loving his bride as scripture prescribes uh, and the um, and so he's he's not um, lording it over his wife he's not um, abusing authority over his wife um, and the wife um, submits to uh, the husband's um, ultimate um, authority and, and decisions even though they should discuss you know those decisions and the wife can uh, give her input into the direction that the family take. Um, now, in terms of sexuality, um, sexuality also is an expression of the relationship that we have with God, that it's it's uh, a self-giving exercise. It's not something that is designed for um, self-gratification, where we're taking 
from the other person and we're using the other person for our own self-gratification, but rather it is a, um, a self-giving thing where both parties are invested in the pleasure and in the satisfaction of the other. And in that one finds one's ultimate satisfaction. Um, so d- d- does that, does that answer your question? Does that yeah. And I'd love to dig into that a little bit because you, you, you mentioned a few things there that I think are important for, for listeners to understand in terms of um, why there are certain restrictions and boundaries that God places around the exercise of our uh, sexual desires. You mentioned one in terms of the marriage relationship. Why is the idea of covenant and that relational covenant mm-hmm. important to understand in terms of managing our sexuality? Why can't I just go have sex with anybody? Absolutely. And I, I think that that covenantal relationship that exists between a husband and his wife also reflects God's covenantal relationship with his people. Um, in fact, in, in uh, throughout the Bible, when Israel apostatizes and goes after other gods, engages in idolatry, God actually compares that to, idol- um, to, to adultery, that the nation of Israel has become an adulterer. And uh, so there's a covenantal relationship that exists between God and his people, and that is typified through, through marriage. Uh, and uh, even though, um, yeah, e- even though uh, throughout marriage, one or both parties can sin against the other and wrong each other, there is this commitment to, um, to remaining together and remaining faithful to one another in spite of each other's shortcomings, in spite of each other's failures. And, and so that, um, so there, there's a, um, th- that provides the basis or the foundation upon which we have the, the concept of uh, sexual monogamy in scripture, that we are supposed to remain faithful to that one person, just as Christ remains faithful to his single bride, the church. Yeah. And so um, one other thing that maybe we, we sort of just made an assumption of, and maybe we need to go back and actually establish this, is um, how important is it for us to understand that um, sex and sexuality is a creation of God? and not merely something that I'm, I have autonomy about. Can you talk a little bit about why is it important to understand that God is the one who created our bodies, who created us male and female? Right. So uh, God, of course, sexuality is a gift from God. It's, um, there's a common misconception that that the the Bible has a very dim view of sexuality and that uh, we're not supposed to enjoy, um, taking enjoyment from sexuality, but rather I think the biblical view doesn't have a lower view of sexuality than our culture. Rather, it has a higher view that sex is actually something that is sacred and is supposed to uh, be it, it kept for the uh, the use of two committed people within the bounds of of marriage. And um, I, I think that it's important that we understand God's design for marriage, which is um, prescribed in, in scripture. Uh, and what, when we understand that sexuality is has a design purpose, then uh, we see that it's not something that we can, that, that is malleable and can just be um, utilized in the way that we see fit. We have to um, consult the, the manual as it were, which is the scriptures, which gives us um, God's prescriptions for sexuality and, and his design for it. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, what you mentioned earlier, too, about the marriage relationship and how it really is this reflection of Christ in the church. I think that's something that uh, a lot of Christians even today, they do not see the direct link between how God's designed our bodies in our sexuality and our that design for marriage and the connection, direct connection to the gospel. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons why there's been such a breakdown in our moral compass is because there's been a huge disconnect from an understanding of sexuality and the gospel, the idea that there's covenant, the idea that there's, it's meant to be self-giving, the idea that the husband is laying his life down for his bride. And, and also the idea that even just in the act of sex, the husband is the one who enters, the wife is the one who receives you know, so there's all kinds of things that it's like, oh my goodness, who would have, who would have imagined that sex is a picture of the gospel? And can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think sometimes if even a person hears that sentence, sex is a picture of the gospel, there might be some people, even Christians that would feel like either offended or grossed out by that, or like, what has happened, do you think that we have so divorced, no pun intended, the idea of or the creation of sex and the gospel of Jesus. You're, you're absolutely correct, and uh, the the relate and sex, I think, is supposed to uh, show and highlight the sort of relationship that we have with God as as believers. That we are completely um, naked, as it were, before God that He sees right. To our core, and we um, are um, we we are completely vulnerable before God in the same way that one is in sexual relationship. And um, I, I I think that sex is a foretaste of um, of the next life and and the sort of relationship that we get to enjoy with God or our Creator. Uh, but you're you're completely correct that unfortunately our culture has completely divorced and separated and severed the. The, the the connection between sexuality and the gospel and, and how those uh, fit together. Yeah. And, and, uh, and one of the things we didn't even mention yet was uh, uh, the, the effect of sex and that is children. Right. And isn't that also connected to the gospel, like multiplication, right? The fact that when the spirit of God enters us, we are meant to go and make disciples. So there's a multiplying effect. Um, right. I wanted to ask you though, so I think there's a lot of a lot of Christians, and I know we've got a lot of listeners, that they're dealing with very specific sin issues or sin struggles around their sexuality. Could be pornography, could be affairs, could be homosexuality, any number of, of sin struggles. How would you um how would you help a Christian in their approach of seeking to study or find answers? for these problems within scripture, what would be a good way for people to approach scripture in that way? Because I think sometimes, well, I want to hear your answer first before I, I, I talk about how sometimes people do approach scripture that might be a dangerous way to, to do it when they're trying to look for specific answers. Absolutely. So um, one text that I would draw upon here would be Romans 12, first two verses, where Paul says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercies to lay down your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is a spiritual act of worship. Be therefore no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you might then 
be able to discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, of course, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, the question you want to ask is, what's the therefore, therefore? And in the case here, is is connecting what we have in, in Romans 12 with what's come before in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Uh, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans lays out the gospel and the mercies of God. So in view of God's mercies, so in view of what we just got done talking about in the first 11 chapters, um, lay down your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God as a spiritual act of worship. In other words, the gospel ought to motivate us to, to um, lay down our bodies daily upon the altar as a living sacrifice. Um, and I think it's when, when, one, when one replaces um, uh, the, the desire for, for sin, the temptation for sin with something much, much greater, namely the, the love of God, I think that that helps to, um, to uh, flee from those sinful tendencies. So in, uh, in uh, the, um, uh, in the adjacent to the Argonauts, the Argonautica by um, Apollonius Rhodius, um, famous um, Greek work, we find that there, there are these uh, creatures that are written off in ancient Greek mythology known as sirens. And uh, these sirens are these beautiful maidens that uh, essentially are um, cannibals. And they, uh, they sing these, these enchanting songs and uh, the sailors will jump into the water and swim ashore to be with these sirens and then they get eaten. And so the, the uh, island is littered with human carnage and bones. And uh, so it's a trap. Now, in the Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius, uh, the um, Orpheus, who, so J Jason's boat is sailing past the island of the sirens, and Orpheus, who's actually a violinist, pulls out his violin, and he plays a, a more melodious music than the music of the sirens. And so that actually drowns out the siren's allure, and therefore he saves the lives of the sailors. And so I think in a much greater way, when we saturate our ears with the gospel, when we are saturated in the scriptures, that can drown out the allure, the, the temptation of, of sin, um, such as you know, pornography or whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's an important thing. I'd also say um, as well that... that um, Beating temptation is not a is not a an individual affair. It's a, it's a team sport, and that we need to surround ourselves with people to whom we can be accountable. There, there can be mutual accountability. I think that that's a very biblical teaching. And there's great you know, accountability softwares that one can use. Um, a great one that I use, for example, is Accountable to You, uh, AccountableToYou.com, um, which is a really great um, website. You can find a, an accountability partner, and it'll send them a a daily or weekly report of um, your your online activities, and it'll flag anything that it thinks is suspicious. And so that allows you to um, to be accountable to someone, so that uh, um, you are you know transparent before your your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you're therefore less likely to fall into temptation. Of course, it's not um, th there's always ways around these things, so it's not uh, the the it's not necessarily the the fix all, but I think it is an important step in the right direction that can be helpful um, in combination with with other things, of course. Does, does that make sense? Anything you would add yeah, to that? Yeah, and, and I want to lean in a little bit more to that whole idea of of pursuit of a greater desire or, or having our mm -hmm. hearts captured by a greater story. Um, because I think, uh, you know, I love the fact that earlier you had said it's it's not that the 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 
biblical view of, of sex is, is less than the cultures. It's that it's actually that much higher, which also I think because it's tied to the gospel, it has such greater value. It has such greater um, uh, purpose. So, and when you mentioned the story of the sirens and the fact that here's a violinist that can play something that was far superior to the songs of the sirens that was able to drown out the temptation, so to speak, can we talk about then why is it important for a Christian then to go on a, a, a quest or a journey, a lifelong learning of deepening that relationship and that desire for God versus the cheap substitutes of pornography and other kinds of temptation and recognizing that that's not easy just flipping a switch in your head. How would you encourage someone to take some really intentional steps towards deepening that desire for the greater story of Jesus? I, I think that it's important to have a satisfied mind that Christianity is actually true. And if, if we are indeed convinced that Christianity is true, then I think that it get it, it's e- easier to pursue that greater reality than to pursue these uh, cheap substitutes such as pornography and, and so forth. Um, I, I think that whenever we engage in sin, uh, such as pornography or what have you, we are betraying a certain level of unbelief. Uh, and we often... You know, we, we, we can profess that we believe this or that, but how does that impact the way that we live? And how does the way that we live, the way that we talk, what we do actually um, express what we actually think? So, for example, in the book of Malachi, in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, um, the God is, is condemning the, the priests for, um, through, for offering the lame and the crippled animals on on his altar and the the priests say no we'd never do that uh, you know um you know when have we dishonored you when have we shown contempt for your name and god says you, you, uh, you uh you, you say it not with your not with your uh, mouth not not with what you say but with your life um and um because they're they're offering the lame and the crippled and the, the defective animals on the altar and I think that when we uh, engage in sin, when we when we uh, fall victim to temptation and, and succumb to temptation, we uh, we betray a certain level of unbelief. In the same way that these priests might not have said that they that they deny God or that they show contempt for God's name, but rather they they the way that they live, what they do, that the sorts of sacrifices that they offer on the altar actually testifies to a different reality. Um, there, there is other examples like that in the Old Testament as well. Um, so um, um, th- does that does that make sense? Yeah, in fact, I, I really like that because one of the it's you know one of the ways we describe that is the need to be brutally honest about our temptations and our behaviors and all of that because I think sometimes you know a lot of we get a lot of guys in our ministry, a lot of people that are they profess their Christianity. They would even say to somebody's face, um, listen, what are your priorities? Well, obviously God first and then my family and then all this kind of stuff. But the way they're actually living is not consistent with what they are saying they believe. And I think that's really important for people to hear, especially in our culture today, where even there can be such a disconnect between our words, our social media posts, and then how we're actually conducting our, our lives. 
Can you talk right. a little bit too about, um, cause we've, we've talked here about God's design, uh, for sexuality, you know, marriage, the covenant, all these things about how it's connected to the gospel, how you maybe deal with specific issues related to sexual brokenness and sin. But can you talk for a little bit about how, how is, um, how is a person's understanding, how does a person's understanding of God affect every area of their life or how should it affect every area of life? Not merely what we're talking about here, just with sexuality. Um, I, I think that it impacts you know, the way that we spend our money. Uh, so you want to know what your priorities are, look at your bank account. <laughs> um, and uh, that will, I think, really tell you where your priorities lie and what you value. Um, the way that you talk, you know, what do you spend your time talking about? Uh, if we were to uh, create a pie chart of how much time you spend talking about this or that subject, that will inform you about what your priorities are. Um, and I think that these can also inform you about you know, idols potentially in your life. You know, what do you spend, what do you think about most? What occupies your mind the most? Uh, and well, there, there's your God ultimately. And uh, so I, I think that uh, the way that we, um, that what, what we prioritize deep down in our heart of hearts will inform uh, what we spend our time doing, what we spend our time talking about, what we spend our money on, uh, and, and so forth. And so it's important, I think, to prioritize God and esteem him above all things. And uh, and therefore, we will um, it, that will be expressed in what we say and what we do and what we spend our, our money and time on. And uh, this may be sort of a sideways question, so we can we can move on if if it's too kind of left field. Mm -hmm. Because as we are talking about this, I think a fundamental um, issue that we are ultimately dealing with here is one's worldview, right? Like what shapes a person's worldview? Certainly, theology and coming into relationship with Christ um, is meant to shape the way one views the world. Um, can you talk about the, the dangers that there are when somebody tries to mix the cultural or the popular or some other kind of worldly system into a Christian understanding of the world and tries to make those things fit together as part of their worldview. Can you talk about how that may give a, or where do you see that? Do you see that in the work that you're doing where people have just kind of, they sort of created a, a, a tapestry of pick from this, pick from that, Put, throw a little Christianity in there, throw a little bit of whatever else, selfish, you know, idolatry. What is the negative impact that that can have on a person? Or what would you say about the idea of worldviews being shaped? Yeah, I mean, it would be helpful perhaps to talk about a particular example. Uh, do you have any particular examples in mind? or? Well, I'm thinking about general? the way that, let's take just pornography, for instance. I believe that pornography is uh, preaching a worldview around sex that is essentially diametrically opposed to God's view of sex. So mm. if you've got a Christian guy that's been spending the last 10 years looking at pornography, going to church and reading his Bible for the last 10 years, doing these things simultaneously, and essentially trying to sew them together in some kind of way. Now, he he may feel the dividedness and all of that, but that's something we see often 
where yeah. it's it creates this confusion. So I'm just wondering, what would you say to that person to help them understand that they've got a a uh, a cloudy lens that they're looking at the world through if they're trying to put those two things together? I, I think it certainly creates cognitive dissonance and. What the brain tries to do when you when you are saying one thing and doing something else to the contrary is it tries to correct for that cognitive dissonance either by giving up the behavior or by changing the belief to match the behavior. And uh, I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to through talkaboutdoubts.com and, and other venues who are struggling with doubts about their faith do have you know, problems with pornography and uh, it's, it's difficult to tell whether there's some sort of uh, correlation or whether it's simply the fact that the vast majority of people are struggling with pornography. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. But it, it seems to me that when you are struggling with sexual addiction like pornography, it can undermine one's confidence in Christianity, wholly apart from intellectual doubts that one might have, because you, the brain is trying to correct for that cognitive dissonance. And so if you're not willing to give, give up the behavior, then the other thing that the brain can try to correct is, is the belief, which seems to contradict the way that you are, in fact, living. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as we, um, as we get close to wrapping up here, I would love to ask you to just give any kind of encouragement. What encouragement would you give to the person out there that has been listening and saying, I, I want to move towards that that violin music, so to speak. I want to move more towards um, really listening to the beauty of the gospel. I don't want to be, you know, head, jumping ship and going towards the sirens. What would you encourage them to do next? Or maybe what would be something that would help them to, to move toward uh, God in, in, as we've been talking about theology, and away from the things that have been luring them. I, I would encourage one to saturate yourself with the scriptures and, and to, to read the scriptures and feast on the scriptures and to you know, do it uh, deep dives in, into the scriptures and uh, you pursue uh, a knowledge of, of God. And I, I think that when you understand just how beautiful the gospel is and how incredible God is, uh, you, you will desire God far more than you desire your sin. Um, and uh, I, and you know, there's the, the biblical pattern is that when one marvels at the holiness of God, the purity of God, one recognizes the filthiness of one's sin like never before. For instance, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, we read, um, you know, Isaiah sees, you know, um, God sitting on his throne, high lifted up, and the train of his rule fills us a temple, and so forth. And he sees this beautiful picture of God in his temple, uh, and he falls to his knees, saying, "Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Hosts." Um, so I, I think that my primary advice there would be to saturate oneself with the Scriptures and come to really understand God and, and the nature of the Gospel and. Uh, um, so does, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I have one other question and, and not to put you on the spot here, but I mean, you mentioned Isaiah six, but are there some other either scriptures or verses that have been uh, personally helpful to you in just your own pursuit of integrity and purity? Um, 
as I said before, Romans 12 uh, would be a good one, Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, which encourages us to, in, in view of the mercies of God expressed in the gospel, we should lay ourselves down daily on the altar as living sacrifices, saying no to self and yes to, to God. And um, um, John Calvin, by the way, at the beginning of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, he also talks about how the uh, where we become to we, we come to uh, recognize our sinfulness uh, in view of God's holiness when we really come to understand the, the holiness of God, and he he discusses as, some of these examples as well. Um, but uh, it's, it's also encouraging that you know Jesus bore the same temptations that we experience, and yet he was demonstrated to be completely pure and without spot or blemish. Uh, and that is a tremendous encouragement. In fact, it's unique among the theistic worldviews. Mm-hmm. I mean, what other religion has a God who actually has entered and broken into human history in the form of a man and has actually uh, experienced what it's like to be tempted? It's not that God is living some sheltered life up in heaven, no idea what it's actually like at an experiential level to encounter and face and resist temptation, but Christ, uh, the God-man, has actually experienced that, uh, just as he's experienced every other um, part of human experience and suffering uh, through the incarnation. Amen. Well, as we close, uh, share share with our listeners again where they can go to get help to continue to pursue a deeper understanding of God, to deal with any doubts, fears, struggles that they may be having in their faith. Yeah. So as I said at the beginning, you can go to talkaboutdoubts.com, which is uh, my ministry website where we offer private mentoring calls with Christians who are struggling with doubts. Uh, and uh, we we often do multiple calls with people. And so that's, that's a good way to uh, explore in depth the evidences for Christianity and uh, how you know, the Bible all points to, to Christ and the, the veracity of the gospel. Um, also, my personal website is jonathanpalachi.com, which houses a lot of my writings and videos and that sort of thing. So uh, jonathanpalachi.com, click on uh, writing, and you'll find uh, my blog where um, I do deep dives into the scriptures and talk about the evidences for Christianity and, and that sort of thing. I discuss um, various aspects of theology as well. I write book reviews. So um, I would suggest that. Um, and uh, there's also some great YouTube channels for really digging into the scriptures. Uh, Mike Winger, for example, is a great channel. Uh, he's a pastor uh, or was a pastor. Uh, he lives in uh, California and he uh, has some really great stuff. And he, I really like uh, about his channel that he's very, very balanced in that he has uh, um, great uh, material on apologetics that he works into his his content, but he also has uh, really great pastoral stuff as well. So that's a really great um channel for a whole diversity of, of different subjects. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, this has been a great conversation and uh, I really appreciate the work you're doing and thank you for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're going to put all those links in the show notes so that you can be able to get quick access to all those resources. Uh, please uh, stay on your pursuit of, of God. There is nothing more important in your life than pursuing him and knowing that you have been pursued by him through Christ. Uh, We look forward to having you back here again next time. If you want to have some help along the way or just an encouraging um, voice to, to be with you on this journey, please reach out to us and we'll see you next time. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online 
at puresexradio.com.